am uh, really excited about the message this morning uh, and the worship as a response to it and what God is going to do here uh, today and just love celebrating uh, what God does with the dollars that we all chip in. And thank you for your generosity for those of you that did Dollar Club and um, just given to, to God in so many ways. It's, it's awesome. Um, so I mentioned, so last week, uh, if you weren't here, we talked about the fact that this, uh, this Sunday and last Sunday, these two Sundays, are really the center of everything in the Bible and everything of this relevant series that we're doing in all of 2023. That everything from Genesis forward points to what we talked about last week in the crucifixion, and we're going to talk about this week in the resurrection of Jesus, and everything from Acts chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation at the very end points back to the cross and the empty tomb. And so we're spending two weeks really saying this is the center of everything about the Christian faith. And really, if you were to take out the cross and take out the empty tomb, all you're really left with is some inspirational stories and some good advice. But if you take that stuff out, that's really all that you're left with. And so we're talking about those today. And so last week we talked about three characters that were impacted uh, by the cross. And today we're going to talk about three different characters who are impacted by the resurrection of Christ. Okay, so um, let me pray and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, uh, Lord, just for people who want to come and hear your word and to celebrate together and sing together. And God, I pray that you would meet us uh, in this time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I'm going to pick up where we left off last Sunday. And if you were here, you'll understand this. If not, you will understand this very quickly. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. <laughs> At the cross that day, there was a woman whose name was Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Not to be confused with Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary, the sister of Martha. But Mary Magdalene implies where she came from. She was from a city, a little town called Magdala. And before she met Jesus, her life was an absolute mess that she was possessed by demons. And then she met Jesus and her life changed forever. And she actually became part of the support team, the financial support team of Jesus. But on the darkness of that day, as Jesus hung on the cross, there was no doubt that she wondered if she had put her face in the wrong thing, in the wrong person, as she saw Jesus hanging on a cross. She probably wondered, what's my future? Will these demons come back? Will my life go back to what it was before? Her hopes were dashed that day at the cross. And maybe you felt like Mary felt that day, that you put your hope in something or someone that didn't pan out. Maybe it was a relationship. 
Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was your hope or your children or a job. Or maybe you put your hope in God and God didn't come through for you the way that you wanted. And that you are disappointed in God. And no doubt that's the way that Mary felt. She put her hope in Jesus and here he was dead after being hung on a cross. Not at the cross that day was Peter. Most likely he was hiding in fear of his life or maybe keeping a distance for fear of being recognized yet again. The evening before Jesus was crucified, Peter shared a meal with Jesus. And as he shared that meal, Jesus said, all of you will deny me. But Peter said, no, 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 not me, Jesus, not me. Even if everybody else runs away and denies you, I will stick with you to the end. And Jesus said, Peter, even you, as a matter of fact, is a sign that you have fallen away. The the rooster will crow three times. And so later that evening, Jesus is in a courtyard and a servant girl comes up to him and says, aren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, no, wasn't me. And then a little bit later, somebody else comes up and says, you're from Galilee, you're with Jesus, right? He goes, no, 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 not me. And then the third time, somebody came up to him and said, you are with Jesus. And he swore, damn it, I am not. And right at that moment, the rooster crowed, reminding him that he had failed Jesus, that he had abandoned him. And so as Peter is hearing and seeing from a distance that Jesus is on the cross, sure he's feeling guilt and shame. And and what does he do with that guilt and shame? And he can't ever go back and reconcile with Jesus. And maybe you've been there as well where there's been things in your life that you have said, I will never do this. I will never dishonor God. I will never dishonor God with my body. I will never do this sin again. And you do it again. And what do you do with your guilt and your shame? There's another disciple. We don't know if he was at the cross or not. Probably not. His name is Thomas. The gospel writers don't tell us if he was at the cross or not. But in between the time of the Passover meal and Jesus being arrested, Thomas and Peter had some words because Thomas was the inquisitive one. And so he asked Jesus, he said, how can I know the way to the Father? And Jesus replied to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then the next day, He was hung on a cross. And you have to wonder what was going through Thomas's mind. This same man that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life had no life in his body anymore. Was he a liar? Was he mistaken? Peter, excuse me, Thomas was left with that confusion, that doubt. You know, and sometimes that's true of us as well that we face difficulties and doubts and trials and so forth. And we wonder, where is God? Is he going to come through? Or was I 
kind of sold a bag of lies. So Mary, Peter, and Thomas, and dozens of others went to bed on Friday night, wondering what their future would be because Jesus was in the grave. And Saturday was a day of silence. And then something absolutely amazing happened on Sunday. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about that, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling appearance. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That was awesome. You see, the tomb being empty changes everything about life. It changed everything for Mary and for Thomas and for Peter. Their lives would never be the same. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look in the Gospel of John in chapters 20, 21. We're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to see how each of these characters, Mary, Thomas, and Peter, all interacted with Jesus and how it changed their lives. So Mary was initially at the tomb, and then she left to go get Peter and John. And so she didn't hear this announcement that he was alive. And so we pick up her story. If you want to follow along, we're in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And by the way, we didn't, the band and I didn't talk before. And if you're in the band, you're sitting here, uh, I'll let you know when to come up. I'll give you a little, like, I'll give you the sign, right? When I go to the belt, come on up. Okay. So it says this. This is John chapter 20. It says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head of the, and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. So Mary doesn't understand. She hasn't put all of this together that Jesus is resurrected. She's trying to figure this out. She thinks maybe somebody's taken the body. Maybe it's the gardener. She doesn't quite know. And it says this. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus now, that's one of those statements that's a little perplexing. Because she turned around and she saw Jesus, but she didn't know that it was him. And we don't know why. We can kind of speculate. You know, maybe she had tears in her eyes and her, maybe she was looking down or her hair was in her face. Maybe she didn't get a good look. I think, and this is just my own sort of guess, trying to insert myself into the story, is like I will go places and when I see somebody in a place that I don't usually see them, oftentimes I can't figure out who they are, right? So a couple of Saturdays ago, um, Stacey and I were at a restaurant, and I ran into somebody, and she's like, hey, Matt, and I'm like, hey, you? If that's you, and bro, tell me you're here, but I don't think it was a church person, Stacy, like, and anyway, I'm like, I don't know, even um, Friday night, I went to the Holtz Carnival, and uh, and there's all these people walk around the halls. My wife teaches there. And I walked past this lady three times. And I'm like, 
I know her from somewhere. Who is that person? I, I just could not figure it out. And so I asked Stacy, and she's like, that's our pharmacist. I'm like, oh, but she's not wearing her little name tag. She's not, you know. So P- Peter, or so, so Mary says that she doesn't recognize Jesus, right? And it could have just been like the idea of him rising from the dead was so far from her thoughts that she didn't figure it out. Then it says this, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you laid him and I will take him away. Jesus asked Mary two amazing questions. Why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? I want to pose that question to you. I want to pose that question to us. Why are you weeping? What are the things in your life that trouble you? What are the things in your life that give you anxiety about life? What is it that troubles you on a day-to-day basis or maybe over the whole season of a part of your life? What troubles you? And then the second question is, is whom are you seeking? Where are you trying to find answers to what it is that troubles your spirit? Continues on. And Jesus speaks one single word to her, and it changes everything. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It was that one word that changed everything for Mary. He knew her name. She recognized her name being spoken, and it changed everything. And here's what I want us to see, is that Jesus knows your name, and that changes everything. Because here's the thing. We can say, well, he knows my name is Matt. He knows her name was Mary. He knows what your name is, just what your name is. But, but it's so much more than that. You see, Jesus knows who you are, and everything about you. He knows your hopes. He knows your fears. He knows your sins. He knows your dreams. He knows every goal that you have in life that you've achieved and every goal that you hope to achieve and every goal that you fail to achieve. He knows everything about you. And he knows your name. And he desires a relationship with you. Knowing everything about you, He wants a relationship with you. And that is why he came back from the dead. He came back because he wants to be in a relationship with us. And that changes everything. The God of the universe knows you, knows everything about you, and wants to be in a relationship with you. Mary was troubled and confused, and she saw the resurrected Christ, and it changed everything. And the relationship that Jesus invites us into is a personal relationship. It's a one-on-one relationship. Last Wednesday morning, a few days ago, I was trying to read my Bible. And I was reading on a reading plan. And and I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I'm trying to read and I just can't focus. Like I get a verse or two in and I'm thinking about something else. And a verse or two and I'm thinking about something else. And I go back to the top and I try and read it. And my mind is just so distracted by the things that are kind of 
pounding on my heart and going through my brain that I just can't, I can't concentrate. I'm frustrated. And so I did something that I've done before, and, and this happens to me just because I'm kind of ADD sometimes in the way that I think and process life. And so I got out my journal, and I began to write in my journal. Um, and I'm going to share with you what I wrote in my journal, which I don't really do very often because it's my journal with God. But I want to read you what I wrote. I said, Lord, I can't concentrate on your word because I'm so concerned about what I have in front of me. I give you these things. I trade my anxiety for prayer, asking that you, the God of peace, would cover me. And, I was con- and then I listed the things I was concerned about. I was concerned about the sermon today. I was distracted about the Stafford retreat that we're going on this afternoon. I was distracted by the theology class, which I lead and teach on Tuesday, right when we get back from the staff retreat. And I was even starting to think about Christmas Eve and what's that going to look like. And so my, I was like way distracted, right? And here's the goodness of God, right? I was troubled about some things. And so I go back and I begin to read the chapter that I'm on. It's chapter 14 of the Gospel of John. It says this, do not let your hearts be troubled, troubled. Trust in me, trust also in God. And the fact that God gave me exactly what I needed at that moment, that's the resurrected Christ. That's the one who wants to be in relationship with us. And that changes everything. Let's look at the second person of the resurrection in the Gospel of John says this, this is Thomas. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, was called the twin, but he was not with them when Jesus came. So the others told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. So Thomas, he wasn't there when everybody else saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And he, so he said, look, I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself, unless I put my hands in his nail mark and the prince in his hands, unless I put my hand in his side where he was stuck with a spear, I'm not going to believe it. He was a skeptic. He was a doubter. And that may be you. That you're like, I don't know if I can believe this whole thing about Jesus dying on a cross for my sins and then rising from the dead. Because, and, and I get that skepticism because it's the type of thing, it's like, do I really want to hang my eternity on something 2,000 years ago that may or may not have happened? Right? Like, that's a big deal. If you say, I'm a follower of Christ, you are hanging your eternity on something that said that happened 2,000 years ago. And so Thomas was like, I'm not sure that I'm all in until I know for sure. And then here's what happened a few days later. It says, then... Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. It was at that point that he said, I believe you did rise from the dead. He received the proof that he needed to place his faith in Jesus Christ. But we can't do the same thing. We can't time travel back and say, well, let me put my, let me see the whole event in live action. 
we can't do that. And so the question is, what do we do if we have some skepticism about that? Like, did Jesus really die, raise from the dead? I mean, maybe he just fainted. Maybe just they made it up. Maybe, maybe, you know, there's all kinds of maybes. So how can we know? And there are books and books and articles and videos made about all kinds of proofs that we have. And I could go through a bunch of them. But I want to share with you just, for me, this is the proof that has the greatest weight for me that Jesus rose from the dead, okay? And this is come, basically, it's going to be kind of weird, but it comes from a list of dead men. So there's 11 people who died. I'm going to share with you how each one of these people died. There's Andrew, and these are all the disciples of Jesus. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Bartholomew was tortured and then beheaded in Armenia. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. James, the son of Zebedee, he was beheaded in Rome. Thaddeus was crucified in Turkey. Matthew was speared to death in Ethiopia. Peter was crucified in Rome, but he was crucified upside down. He didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified in the way that Jesus was. Philip was tortured to death, also in Turkey. Simon was crucified in Britain. And Thomas was speared to death in India. Judas committed suicide. He was replaced by a disciple named Matthias. And he was stoned to death in Jerusalem. That's 11 men who all went to their grave saying, Jesus rose from the dead. The 12th was the gospel writer, John, and he died in exile on the island of Patmos. But you see, all of those men died saying, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is the cornerstone of our faith, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And they all went to their graves saying, it is true. And here's the thing, people have died for faith in all kinds of different ways. People have died for a faith that is true, and people have died for a faith that is a lie, right? People die for their faith all the time. But here's what's unique about this. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, these men died knowing it was a lie, right? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if the disciples had stolen the body, if he hadn't really died, he just sort of fainted for a while, the disciples would have known it, right? They would have known, they said, and I, I mean, I, I'm not sure about them, but like for me, like the, as soon as somebody begins to torture me, you're like, no, just kidding, just kidding. I stole the body, let me go, right? And it wouldn't take much pain for me to say, no, no, just kidding, right? But these men all went to their graves because they knew that Jesus' grave was empty. And then it says something to us at the end of this chapter. It says, Jesus said to him, this is back to Thomas. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's pretty amazing. It says, you are blessed because you didn't see me in person. That's you. He's talking about you in this room. You are blessed because you believe. Here's the third character affected by the resurrection of Jesus, and it's Peter. 
Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Peter had no place to put his guilt, no place to put his shame, no way to seek forgiveness. And then Jesus rises from the dead. So there's an interaction that Peter and Jesus have. So this is John 21, 15. It says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus could have said a whole lot of things to Peter, but he asks him a question. He doesn't criticize him. He doesn't say, why did you deny me three times when it didn't even matter? He didn't say, are you sorry, Peter? Are you really, really sorry, Peter? Peter, have you learned your lesson? He didn't say any of those things. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here's his response, the second half of verse 15. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. This is Jesus restoring Peter to be the leader of the church, reinstating him. Because there were all these things that he had taught him with the anticipation and expectation that Peter would lead the church to feed the lambs, to shepherd the church. And so he's reinstating him. Then it continues on. This is verse 16. It says, He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So Peter and Jesus have this cycle three different times. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love Three times it happens. Why does it happen three times? And I think what Jesus is doing for Peter is he's connecting the dots. He's saying three times you denied me and three times I've said I restore you. And so he was restored to the purpose that God had for him. And here's what I want you to understand. Again, we have a relationship with the resurrected Jesus. And with that, that means that he is the God, like he was for Peter, for you, the God of second chances. And the God of third chances and fourth chances and 27th chances. That because he is the resurrected Christ who has died for your sins, and arose again, we are not limited in the times that he forgives us and invites us to keep walking with him. That's the promise of the resurrection of Jesus. And so in a couple of minutes, the band, they're going to come on up here. You guys can come up and we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate this truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he loves us and he wants relationship with you and with me.